I'm Justin. And I'm Blake. And this is the How Do You Figure podcast. Blake, who is our guest this week? Justin, today we are joined by LA-based comedian and podcaster, the host of the Well Actually podcast for nerds, Holly Annabelle Brown. Holly, how are you? Thanks for having me, guys. That was a very, uh, I'm very tired. So me saying hi that giddily was just for you. I will say. <laughs> Great. Good, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one who's tired. This is why I need glasses. Same with me. Can't see the bags under my eyes. No way, baby. You look great. Holly, tell us a bit about your podcast. Uh, it's called Well Actually. It, we call it a podcast for nerds who think they know everything. So we, it's me and two of my, my two co-hosts, we take on a guest that says they're an expert in some nerd field. So generally the ranges from movies, TV shows, um, we've done video games in the past, and then we quiz them so they can prove to us that they know the most, that they know more than us as the hosts, and then they know more than you as the audience. That's great. I love yeah. that. That's a, like a solid concept. Like oh. so many podcasts have no concept. <laughs> <laughs> Like ours. That's great. <laughs> no way. You guys have a fucking concept. Also, I can curse, I'm assuming, right? By all means. All right. Um, you fuck everybody. No, I'm kidding. You you guys have a great, uh, such a good con- concept. I was just telling uh, Blake that I'm like shocked when people have such good concepts and are not famous yet because I'm like, <laughs> if, if you don't, if you don't get famous, I have no hope for humanity. So. Blake, did you buy any toys this week? Uh, I did. I uh, realized that I've bought more toys this year than I ever have. But the newest one I got, I just splurged on it on Target.com. I didn't leave the apartment. Was the Terminator 2 two-pack with Sarah and John Connor with some of the best artwork I've ever seen for a toy. It's incredible. Uh, the figures are both great. John was obviously a Comic-Con exclusive with the motorcycle that I skipped, and Sarah's incredibly hard to find. So having them both packaged together, and, you know, it's T2. You can't go wrong. The cover reminds me of The Old Ride. That movie is still great. I'm excited to watch it on 4K, because I also got an adult toy this week, Justin, which sounds dirty, but it's not. (laughs) I got a... What did I sign up for? (laughs) Yikes. Uh, no, those are all the Patreon After Dark episodes, the adult toys. <laughs> How do you figure? Uh, I also got a 4K TV, which isn't a toy, but to me it is, and I'm in love yeah. with it. I got Trag and Granite Org. You found it. Target.com. Very easy. It sent me the the notification that they were in stock. Uh, I hit buy, and then they were all out of stock. Great. But I love them. They're huge. Um, you know, $51, $52, but worth it. Um, yeah, I've been still getting pretty lucky being able to get these turtles from Target. The Triceraton Roadkill Rodney two-pack or three-pack, that I have not been able to find. Um I'm a little worried about that one, Blake. I'm going to be honest with you. I think part of the issue with us not having an episode last week was my obsession with trying to find these Triceratons. Uh, they haven't really shown up in LA, and they were supposed to. There have been several online on sale dates for Triceratons, and it just hasn't happened. So I'm slightly concerned, but in the meantime, I'm loving my rock man. And, uh, yeah, they're great. Well, <clears throat> I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> can I, can I show you guys? I know this is a podcast, but I'll, I'll audibly talk about it just because it's Ninja Turtle related. And I think you might like it. Um, I, in my spare time and to fund myself during this pandemic as a jobless comedian, I make shoe, custom painted shoes and custom painted denim jackets. So the ones the ones that I've just made they're not done I haven't finished an outline or gloss for them yet but I just made some custom Ninja Turtle ones holy shit (laughs) and they're not outlined you can't like see their features and I have to um 
uh, what's it called? Shade them and stuff. But I make I make Ninja Turtle shoes all the time. Oh my god! I might have to buy one of these blue jean jackets. <laughs> yeah, I just started the jean jackets. My first one, I did Tiny Rick on the back of my own jacket, and it turned out so cool. So I'm about to do a Dragon Ball Z one for commission. Oh. And- and if people want to get the shoes, where do they where do they find you to do that? So You're saying I, I have an Etsy. I have an Etsy called Hello Holly Goods, but Etsy is a piece of shit, and <laughs> they absolutely hike up prices for buyers and sellers so much, and you just are getting stolen from basically. So I'm gonna I'm in the process of making my own website. Um, for now, I just direct people to my Instagram, and they can talk to me about their what they want from there. But I'll, I'll have more awesome. in the future. Yeah. Oh, those are great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. If there's two things I'm a sucker for, it is Vans shoes and blue jean jackets. So (laughs) as soon as you're like turtles on it, I'm like, well, I'm there. (laughs) Let's do this. Yes. I have, I have a closet of 20 Vans. That's all I wear. So you're speaking my language. I've I've gotten the (laughs) NES Vans. I just got the Simpson ones they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to make some myself. Those Simpsons ones are so cool. Oh. I just wanted to make like a full-scale Lisa for President Vans. I would love yeah, that. Yeah, that's great. I will. I will. I'll do it. I'll show you. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> like, great. We're going to get two episodes out of this, Justin. I can just talk about customizing Vans and blue jean jackets all day. Oh, my God. My house is littered with like blank canvas Vans and just like uh, pictures on the wall of me like I look like a serial killer I'm like what do I do on these vans just looking and referencing and- well if I line them all up it says the next location's here at this arrow so I, I know we could talk vans all day but we're here to talk about board games this week that is the topic Blake what's your board game experience uh Justin I'm glad you asked I used to have to get dragged, kicking and screaming to any board game night. If friends were doing it, I didn't care. I think part of it is that I grew up so heavily on video games that I just always felt there was a better alternative. But a bigger part of it is that I was an only child. And so for a long time, game nights meant the power was out and I was forced to play with my parents which also meant that playtime became, did you do your homework correctly? And do you have any crushes on girls you're going to ask to the dance? Which are two conversations I never wanted to have with my parents. (laughs) So I got this weird, like, connotation with it. So whenever I dated anybody into them or had friends into them, I was like, oh, no, it's going to be dark and people are going to scold me. (laughs) (laughs) I I loved them when I was a kid. and I. Like, I think I would enjoy them as an adult, but I've never had an enjoyable board game experience as an adult because it's usually done as like a couple's game night thing. It's usually done as an excuse to get together instead of like the purpose of getting together. Um, I, I don't know. I I feel like I'm, I ruined a lot of couple's game nights in my 30s because I am unable to hide my disdain uh, when I dislike something. So I feel like there were a lot of nights sitting there with my ex where I was just like, what are we, can we just have a conversation? I don't know. What are we doing? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? What? Uh, but that being said, in the right circumstances, board games are fantastic. And I understand people that, uh, play them, that collect them. Um, Holly, what are some of your favorite board games? Oh, well, I love board games. I always have loved board games. I fully understand, like, having a preconceived notion about something before you start it or before you even fully conceptual, like, understand it. Because that was one of the biggest hurdles in gaming and board gaming is, like, for the first time in a long time, having to read directions and both interpret them at the same time as you're explaining them. And I always found that so difficult. But I remember I uh, the first board game I ever played that was a strategy-based board game was Settlers of Catan. And I was with my ex at the time, and he I could not, my brain couldn't, my brain was exploding at every moment. I was like, what the fuck is happening? I have to get barley and brick and what? And I could it took me about three or four times to understand the game. Then when I explained it to my friends, 
they got it on the first try. And at first I thought I was stupid. And then it made me very confident in my decision to break up with my ex-boyfriend because it was him. He just couldn't explain games. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how it's whoever the person explained the game factors so much into your enjoyment of the game. So if you have a bad person telling you the, like explaining the rules to you that, that, and then you have a good person, you're going to have totally different gaming experiences and you're going to have to leave with a bad taste about a game, even though it's actually about your piece of shit X, you know? <laughs> I feel like game, I feel like board games have really like progressed. I feel like I don't know enough about like modern board games because there's a whole like subsection mm-hmm. of like adult board games. And oh, I yeah. feel like I haven't like played that kind of stuff at all, but I feel like that's more about, that's more kind of like what you're talking yeah, that's why when you were talking about like a um, couples game nights, I, I I've never like even thought of that because all my board games are that I own are typically co-op or strategy based competition ones, um or role playing ones, and so the idea of like my boyfriend being a factor in it, I'd be like, get the I don't give a fuck about you. I'm gonna <laughs> I, I'm gonna be cast king of this castle. Get out of here. So it's it, it it's so funny what do people like. When I, when I was a kid, I used to think people that ate Twix were losers. You know, the, the candy Twix. <laughs> this is a very weird opinion I had. But for some reason, something in my brain one time saw somebody eat a Twix I didn't like. And I was like, Twix are for fucking losers. And then now as an adult, I'm having to unravel that in my brain. And I think people have to do that all the time with board games where they're just like changing their conception of what it is. I think that's a big I immediately when I hear a board game, I think like Monopoly mm-hmm. or Pictionary or something like that. But like I, I've only barely begun to see this new generation of board games that are out there. So a strategy game, like what what is the difference between like your typical board game and a strategy game? I mean, one could say, argue that any board game involves strategy, of course, but I think that's the difference of an adult board game versus a kid's board game, whereas an adult board game, you are, you have to think three or four steps ahead. So Settlers of Catan is like one of the most popular adult board games, I would say, of all time. And with that, you are both strategizing by yourself, and then you have to strategize with other people without people knowing you're strategizing with them. So it becomes the social game as much as, as it is a physical strategy game where you have to barter with people, but you can't barter too much or they're going to think that you have too many resources. And uh, I just, I think it's so fascinating watching people's, like some people go with, a, um, you know, like a Hulk smash mentality where they just want to be like the big dominant power person or another people want to come from behind and have nobody, not be on anybody's radar and then win at the end. Um, or for when I play every, everyone I play with, if there's four people, three of them will be three against me because I always win baby. So <laughs> they can't, they always gang up against me, but it's something you can do in a, in adult board games. Like, and it doesn't become like this childlike competition where you're mad at people. It's more of you understand, like, that's what you got to do to win. Yeah, this is fascinating because I woke up today thinking we're, we would be talking about Hungry Hungry Hippos. Hell no! <laughs> so why do I like Hungry Hungry Hippos? Man, I, I, mean, like, I, don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I feel like anybody that listened to this episode about board games and then I came on and talked about Operation, they would absolutely throw their phone out the window. They're like, what? <laughs> they had her on? No, so I, explain to me what is Settlers of Catan? How what is how do you play it? What is the game? I, it, I like I'm ignorant. It is my favorite game of all time. Oh my god! So it is probably the most cliche game to be your favorite as a big board gamer myself. But I can't help it. I don't give a shit what people think. It's just the best. You essentially have a, a randomized map where it has different areas of resources. So the map itself will look like it's different variations of green and trees and then brick and clay and then wheat and sheep. So you have all the basis of a, a, a society covered basically with their resources. You have wood to build homes. You have brick to aid in building homes and roads. You have um, sheep and, and barley to barter with. So you essentially want to collect 
the most resources to build the most homes to then be the, the ultimate settler. And uh, by gaining 10 victory points at the end of the whole game. But you gain the victory points by bartering, by, by building homes, by building cities. Um, so essentially, it's like creating a, you have a, a land, a map of nothing, and you want to build your own little foundation while other people are trying to do the same thing in your area. Yeah, that sounds way more complicated than most couples game night. Uh, and, and like way more appealing, honestly. Like, I, I feel like if I was invited over to do something like that, I would be way more engaged Man, than, you know, fiction area or whatever. You're going to flip your lid at these other games we're going to talk about later. I'm I had <laughs> years where I, I avoided Settlers of Catan because I felt about it the same way I kind of do sports when people want to go play like pickup basketball. And I'm like, oh, but you guys are good at basketball and I need to learn what like a free throw is. Like I'm always the person who gets sick and tan with people who've been doing it for years. And I'm like, and how do I get the wheat? I don't want to slow down your night, but the wheat is important. You're saying interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It it is a learning curve. And I think it's just something that you have to know going into gate board gaming. It's it's an, it's an investment. Like, you're not going to be good the first time. Unlike when you play Hungry Hungry Hippos, you you aren't, but you have to be willing to learn and and in doing so, realize what kind of gaming person you are. Like, are you the type of gamer that wants to be the most vocal and wants people to know when you're in the lead? Or are you somebody that wants to slyly do something on the side? Like, I feel like it, it is a curve and you have to just know that going in that you're probably not going to have fun the first night, which kind of feels like a waste of time. But <laughs> I really, I think it's so dependent on the person explaining the game to you on your factor of a level of enjoyment your first time. Like, okay, if, so if, explain if the game not, to me. Well, like I know this person that my 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 friend was dating and he would get annoyed with you when you didn't understand a rule right away and i'm like well are you kidding we're playing this fucking game about birds about collecting rare birds you think i know shit about birds but (laughs) (laughs) but you're learning i mean did you did you want me to explain settlers specifically or do you want me to explain anything yeah, explain settlers. Like I'm coming over, we're playing the game. Okay. My my experience level is hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> what are, what is happening? So what I love about games like settlers is there's an element of luck and strategy involved. And the luck comes from the roll of the die. So you have that board I was describing with all these different resources on it. And in order to continue to build, you need your numbers rolled. So you have your um like given settlements from the beginning of the game, you get like automatically two, two, two settlements and two um, roads. And so wherever those are touching on the board, those are your resources with numbers attached. So when your die is rolled or when you roll your die and if any, anytime anybody rolls an eight, if your piece is touching a number eight, you get that resource. So that's where the luck comes into play. Like sometimes your numbers are not rolled at all and it sucks. But it, it's so randomized that it doesn't matter because you think eight and six would roll the most. But you've, I've had games when like 11 and three roll the most. So it's like luck can only matter so much when you also have to have strategy to, to be able to pivot away from the bad luck you're getting. Um, but you want to collect resources based off of your die that you're rolling, then build from the resources that you've collected. So your turn g- generally involves... Um, rolling the die, collecting your resources, you can then trade if you want with other people on your turn, then you build. And that's the final action you'd be taking is building. Uh, then you can't do anything else. And I play house rules where once you put your settlement down and you lift your hand up, you can't move it, babe. You got to t- you gotta walk away. You got to no movement there. So it's, uh, it's generally like most strategy-based board games have... Um, like different actions you're allowed to do. So it'll be like, you have three actions, you have four actions and it's up to you to use those actions. Well, some you can use like the one, the games that I brought to talk about, you can use your actions at different points in the game on your turn, but settler specifically, you have to follow die first, collecting resources, trading, then building. Otherwise you're not maximizing your turn because if you trade, 
uh, after you've built, you might've been able to build something better had you traded before. So it's all about building, gaining points for what you've built and then ending up with the most points at the end. I love the, the like, I, there's something about uh, rolling dice that's very satisfying. Yeah. Like I'm a huge craps fan. So the, yeah. <laughs> like I could roll dice for hours. And I, it I, just takes a little it. pressure off of you to not have to know every what to do every single moment because you can luck out and just get a good roll or you luck out and you get a bad roll and you'd be like, okay, I couldn't do anything anyway, you know? So I feel like now I have a good grasp of, what these are. Blake, I feel like you already knew this. I, I, I yeah, I knew Catan. I'm bad <laughs> at it, uh, but I'm often with to oh, Holly's. Played. I've played it, but to Holly's point, I'm often with the people who just expect you to know. I used oh. to play it with an ex and her friends who would be like, what is this guy doing here? He doesn't even know the game. And I was like, but I want to know the game. And then you don't know it. And it sounds like, there's like gatekeepers in every part of nerddom, right? And we, we hate them. And it's amazing that they're in board games because mm-hmm. when you're explaining this to me, I'm thinking of all the people I knew who when somebody would like watch The Force Awakens before any other Star Wars movies, they were like, well, you're not a fan. Because see, in the old expanded universe, like, no, no, you're ruining for them. Yeah. Let them enjoy it. Bring them into the world. We can go watch the old movies. We don't have to push our glasses up and look down on them when we're doing this. Yeah, I feel like people don't understand how fans are are created anymore. They just assume you're born a fan and you know something, or you unless you were um, following it from the beginning that you're not allowed to be a fan in that. But I I'm not even like the biggest board gamer. I I know, and I'm a huge board game fan, but I have, you know, friends that have board game channels on YouTube and they do playthroughs of board games. And like, there's board games from every spectrum of board games about food fights that are super fun or Halloween board themed board games. Or I even like, you know, um, vocabulary board games like categories. I consider more of a strategy based, like it's a step above Scrabble. You know? So speaking of these Halloween board games, we are now in the horror season. It's October. We're almost to Halloween itself. And you've brought us two horror-based board games. The first one I want to talk about uh, is Mysterium. Oh my God. It is definitely my second favorite board game of all time. It is so much fun. So it's fun for everyone, let me tell you, because it is a co-op board game, which I think are the best board games to play with people that have never played board games. Because <clears throat> as someone that's never played, you're not worried about just losing the whole time. If you're playing as a team, your team wants you to win. Your team wants you to be successful with you. So they're going to guide you through that process in a way that you don't get if you're playing on your own. So... This is the game, my favorite game. It's called Mysterium. And essentially it is like um, a spooky version of Clue on speed. And oh my God, it's such a blast. If you turn, you dim the lights, you put some candles on, you play this game and you feel like you're, you're telling ghost stories at camp because it's in the, the whole premise of the game is some, somebody died and they have to give you clues to tell you how they died. And you have to work as a team with the ghosts to figure out how they died. I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. This is the one that would be easy to get me to do. Because you also, you know, to get me into a board game, maybe not anymore, but you used to have to lure me in with things I liked. And <laughs> as if I may like terrible movie producer. If you were just like, it's Clue meets Super Mario, I'd be like, you have a blank check to make a movie. So the second you go, it's Clue, and there's a ghost helping you solve the mystery, I'm like, well, that's it. Yes. Give her as much money as she wants to make this project. I completely understand. If someone was like, here's a board game that involves beer and Pikachu, I'd be like, what the fuck? (laughs) All right. I'm in. (laughs) I'm an easy um, person so what exactly to convince. Is a, what exactly is a co-op game? So co-op is cooperative. So you're working as a team to uh, accomplish the final goal, 
which sometimes involves defeating a, a villain that the game itself is like not, it doesn't necessarily mean you're competing against your fellow game players. You're competing against a, co- a common goal as opposed to um, another a strategy-based board game that everyone is playing individually so that they can be the winner. So like Catan, gotcha. you want to get 10 victory points. You want to beat everybody else. But in Mysterium, if you guys don't all work together to guess how the ghost died based off the clues, then nobody wins. So, because the only other co-op game that I've played, and it's not, I guess it ends at co-op, is it the House on Haunting Hill? Um, oh, God, why do I feel like I have what you're talking about? Oh, Haunting um, Hill, that's a Netflix. The betrayal, the betrayal of how, oh my that's God. It. Why no, am I forgetting the thing? I have this game, sorry. <laughs> oh my God, guys, my computer's sitting on it. <laughs> it's uh, the Betrayal of House on the Hill. Yeah, it's a mouthful, and it'll be like season four of Netflix's haunting show. The Trail at House on the Hill. That's what it is. It's literally in front of my eyeballs. So that's one that ends at co-op, Justin. If you yeah. don't know, you essentially are going through a haunted house, and then the haunting occurs, and there's something like 60 options. It can be a werewolf, or you you play chess with death, and then you're all working together to stop the haunting. And I can't stand it. Because I, I feel like every haunting is stacked against the player. Like the one where you have to beat death at chess is you get one dice to roll and he gets like five. So it's like the only way you can beat him is if he rolls a bunch of ones and you roll a six. And every time I've played it, I've been like, what are we doing here? We get the haunting, we get a cool, fun story, and then we just get picked off like we're at Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, honestly, you're not wrong. That one... <laughs> That one does involve so much more losing at like in total of how often you win versus losing. You lose so much more when you play that as a team. So I get why you wouldn't like that, but Mysterium. So the, my favorite part about Mysterium is you have some, you, the ghost is as one of you guys say there's five people playing you, one of you has to be the ghost. It's actually not like cards that you're pulling. It's not part of the board game. It gives a different role for somebody else to play. So if you're the ghost, you're sitting behind the, this um, little cardboard cutout of a haunted house or a mansion. So they can't see you because as the ghost, you're not allowed to talk. It's, it's fascinating. Like you oh, can love that. The only way the ghost gets to communicate is through these cards and on the cards have very abstract um, paintings of, that could be interpreted in many different ways. But the point is you want, you have a thing you're trying to get somebody to guess. So say we're going through how somebody died and you're going through first with uh, where, where they died or no, who killed them, who could have potentially killed them. And you have five or six people on the board and you're trying to give them clues as to who killed them. Now these people, these, these character cards have clues on them of like people wearing white, people that are cooks. Um, somebody that has like a safari gun, a safari gun. Wow. I'm definitely not part of the NFL. I oddly knew exactly what you meant. I was like, it's the big long gun. I could picture it without missing a beat. I was like, of course the safari gun, <laughs> <laughs> you hold it here. It's like eight feet long and it's a big ah, circle. King yeah. K. Rule used it in Donkey Kong country. I'm there. Yeah. Yes. Probably exactly. the guy holding it probably has like a big a, a bucket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It is very um, Tarzan inspired. But so on this card, you have somebody that has a safari gun. <laughs> I'm actually just going to pull out one of the cards. And these people, oh, let's see. So this is what one of the cards would look like. This could be the potential killer. See how there's other like details on the card, like this ball of red yarn. There's this keys. There's um, her, the way, how old she is, her hat that, that could give you as a ghost to be like, okay, now I have to somehow get them to guess who it is based off of those other clues on the card. And you're, you have to use these very abstract, beautiful pieces of art to get them to guess this old lady with a green thing. So you'd be, you do that by either saying, Oh, this card has a lot of green on it. If I put it down, they might guess this green lady. But if there's anybody else on the card on, on, um, there anybody else displayed that could also have a sword that also has 
sky in the background, they might guess something else. So you don't get to, you don't get to speak. All you're talking with are cards. And the way you're communicating whether or not they got it right at the end of the round is by knocking like a ghost would. So it's like one knock for yes, two knocks for no. And so as a team, you're trying to work together to guess, to interpret these cards, to figure out who the person is, then what weapon they have. And it gets harder and harder because by the time you get to the weapons, there's very little to work with. It's just a fork. <laughs> you wow. don't have colors that you can use to have allow people to interpret things. You don't have, um, you know, like themes, really. You just have to somehow use these very abstract cards and be like, okay, I'm looking at this card and there's a metal bridge on it. Maybe they'll connect the metal of the bridge to the metal fork. Or I'm looking at this card and it's like obviously a, a very fancy feast. Maybe they'll see that the feast means that you need a fork. It's, it takes a lot of interpretation, which I love. It's a lot of, as UCB school would say, A to C, Justin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is very interesting. I think the main thing I'm learning today uh, is that as an old man, board games have passed me by. Well, <laughs> I like, feel like at some point, they got much more interesting and complicated, but I had like aged past it. So I'm just stuck with this idea of clue and hungry, hungry hippo. Yeah. I think that's world out there that I did not know existed. And I'm fascinated by it. I think part of my disconnect up until recently also was how you just showed us these beautiful cards. Yes. And I, I, I came up on the Star Wars card game and the Pokemon card game. So any card with gorgeous art, I'm attracted to. Yeah. So when I think about like the monopolies, the shoots and ladders, uh, the operations of the world, as fun as those can be for kids or adults, it's such stale art. It feels like I'm looking at like something from the 50s, where Mm -hmm. now you have all this innovative, gorgeous, beautiful, like the storytelling and world building that seems to be in this game is uh, is incredible to me. Is that kind of what keeps it fresh then? Are there a bunch of different outcomes and stories in it? Uh, in, in this particular game, there's so much, I mean, I, I think what keeps so many board games fresh is that the ability to have different outcomes and variables of like, not only, even if the end goal is the same goal every single time, the way you get there will be different for 52 times. And to your point about art, that is something that has been like every single year better and better and better because they actually give awards to board games that have beautiful art now. And it's just, it's a draw as a visual. If you're a big board game person, I think that the less art and time you put into something, the, to me as a buyer, I'm like, oh, the less you put into the strategy of the game then as well. Like you need to think of every component uh, as, as I don't know, as it's like own thing. Or I will just assume that if you lack on this one regard, then you don't think you don't care about this. Right. It kind of becomes a holistic. I think that happens in movies and video games too, where you start to see if a movie has really good production design, I think of something like Beetlejuice, you go, well, if you cared that much about this one part of the movie, mm-hmm. you must have cared about the entire movie. Where would you get to like, I don't know, a game with really bad controls? You're like, well, if you didn't even think about how to make this character jump right, the game probably sucks. You, yeah. you didn't care. <laughs> and I also think that people underestimate the ability to be simple, but still be beautiful and, and smart. And a lot of the board games I'm talking about definitely sound really hard, but there are so many that are not that take so quick to learn. And video game wise, it always, I don't know if you guys ever played that game Limbo. Yes. I loved that game. I just, it was so simple and you, all you were doing was moving forward and it was just stunningly beautiful and it didn't take away from, or the simplicity didn't take away from how you felt like playing it. No, it enhanced the game because it really made its thematic point using Mm -hmm. the arts as part of the narrative, which I think a lot of these board games have to do sometimes, because even to build out a full world, like something like Mysterium, you need captivating images to fully tell this story. The two things you just showed us, that green field and that almost like Coraline-esque girl doll, 
are so vastly different that it makes me go, oh, this world is huge. This mm-hmm. isn't just like a block where Jack the Ripper would be hanging out. There's so much here. The lore is going to be captivating. And as a, per, you know, it depends on the type of person you are. You can be more analytical. Therefore, you're going to interpret the clues in such a more different way than an artistic person would. And that's something that's so fascinating when you're playing the game in real time, where as the ghost, you're watching your team discuss what your clues could mean. And you could have one person that's more analytical, right on the money of exactly what you want. Just blink the green to the green, just go there. But then you have more of an artistic person going, well, what does it mean? What if, what if the green has an interpretation about the environment? And then what? maybe we should go in this direction. So you, it's so interesting as the ghosts, you don't get to control where they're moving at a certain point and somebody can completely convince somebody else that they're wrong and vice versa. It also sounds like the kind of game that would be really fun with the right mix of people I know really well and people I don't know at all. Because if (laughs) I know how Justin's brain works and he's the ghost and is giving clues or he knows how my brain works it almost becomes easier to go, well, he put down something green. And I know that he likes the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And there's a guy named Leonardo. (laughs) I bet Leonardo did it. But if I'm playing with somebody like you, Holly, who I've only met doing this podcast, I'd be like, (laughs) I don't know what she's, I don't know what she's doing, but there's, it's infinite possibilities. And as we whittle down how people work. I actually find it's easier to play with people you don't know with this game particularly because there's so, like you just gave the example with Justin, you could go off the deep end over analyzing something. And I would say very rarely is something in, in board games, is it something you should actually overanalyze? Like they want to give you that option, but really they just want you to play the game and not have to like dwell too much on it. Well, so I have, this, I have this other board game and this is other spooky ones called Horrified. And this one you can get at Target. That's what I love about this baby. Uh, Target.com, as you guys called it. And (laughs) you can get horrified at Target. And this one is another cooperative game. And it involves having to slay classic movie monsters. So the end goal is to kill Dracula and the mummy and the bride of Frankenstein. And um, uh, the Invisible Man. Like, you have to work together. and kill them before they kill all the villagers in this town. This is another one that I'm like, yep, you know what I like. <laughs> this, the classic <laughs> yeah, horror monsters are awesome. That's part of the reason we, my boyfriend and I bought it because like, he's such a, a classic horror movie buff. And I'm getting new into the horror game, to be honest. But we bought it and I was just like, it's just, it, it, it takes that element of it being just a board game and involves more of a movie aspect that everybody is common knowledge about. And so it's not hard to wrap your head around what the goal is. You're like, oh, yeah, I want to kill Dracula. Cool. How do I do that? (laughs) Oh, I killed Dracula by uh, hitting with a bunch of stakes. Okay, cool. How do I get those stakes? Like your brain can comprehend it in a different way than if it was, you know, you know, reading a novel about uh, the first time you ever read Game of Thrones. You're like, oh, I've never read this before. But you already know everyone's story. So now you're just figuring out how to kill them. The rules are already baked in. So there's yeah. a little bit more of just, I know what I need. How do I get there? Yeah. But with Great. this game in particular, it's actually the opposite of Mysterium. It's so simple. The, um, the artwork is really simple, but it's not overly simple. And I think in part, that's why it's at Target, because the cost point was production was probably pretty low. But you have your character pieces. They're, I could, sure. Could I paint them? Yeah, I could. But this is the creature from the Black Lagoon, and he's pretty simple. He's nothing, he's nothing wild. He's just a little purple guy. And I, I kind of like that variation of, like, cool, they know that this game isn't going to be that hard, so there's no point in them taking the time to, like, make everything the most distinct they possibly could because we already know what they are. We already know who they are. You don't need us to ascribe any personality to them. There's also something very, and this is like my own toy nostalgia of those kind of like cheap, almost like in a bubble toys, like you put in the turn it. And there's something about that too, where I'm like, I love it. And if that, anything that I'm already collecting, like I love the horror monsters, but there aren't really any toys for it. 
So mm-hmm. to even see that, I'm like, I kind of want to buy this board game just to have those, <laughs> which I feel like happens a lot with like underrepresented lines. They'll get like a, a board game or a Monopoly game. And you're like, well, this is the only place I'm going to get Detective Pikachu. I got to buy this board game. Yeah, not such a good hey, the, the, first, the first ever figures of the Ninja Turtles were board game pieces. Oh, I had no idea. That's so fascinating. Like, was it pre-action figures in general or? or yeah, uh, before the action figures were ever made, there was a board game. So it had like, the four turtles and a couple other characters too. Why would they, but I'm assuming there were other action figures already created in the world, like obviously Star Wars or, you know, a He-Man or whatever. Actually, I'm not a big Ninja Turtle person. It was just a little before my time, (laughs) but but don't let me, don't, don't, don't get it wrong. I know how to draw, but I just can't. (laughs) I just don't know who Splinter is. (laughs) Did you hand draw those Ninja Turtles? Yeah, I draw. I hand draw everything. Oh, I had no idea. I thought that was like a that you were like printing onto the. You're drawing those onto the sheet. Yeah, it it is a tiny arduous process I'm doing, but it's. Oh, that's even more impressive than what I originally. (laughs) Honestly, I'm happy that you still liked them, pre knowing that they took a lot of time (laughs) and care and love. Uh, so how did you get into these sort of board games? Um, like I said, honestly, I'm not ashamed to admit that it was from a guy. <laughs> I, I was this, like that, that one guy I was telling you about, I, he and his friends were really into settlers. I started playing it because I liked him and that, and then I felt stupid because I couldn't understand it. So I was like, no, I must, uh, no, I must conquer. And after I finally started to understand it, I just loved it. It just, he, I think everybody is introduced probably 99% of the time by someone they know. And it was through that guy and he turned out to be the worst board game explainer of all time. Um, And then I think there was a part of me that was like, I want to show people board games so they can love it on their first try. I'm sorry. Think that my ex was also bad at explaining board games, and that she had bad board game friends. I'm starting to. They're your ex, okay? So the healing really starts with learning the board games properly. I I really think too, people that are very good at explaining board games are also good storytellers because they don't get lost in their own thoughts. And my sister, I love her to death, and she's a huge board game aficionado. God damn. The amount of games I've played with her and I'm like, I hate this game. But then I look back and I'm like, oh, it's because my sister just cannot explain things. <laughs> like she'll get, she'll start a sentence three different ways and, and then expect me to understand, you know, how to kill the final boss when she has not, she'll be like, so, okay. So, so you go, okay. So you want to pick up the, okay. So you want to get the sword. Okay. So, Oh, I forgot to tell you about the action cards. And you're like, gosh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's a communication piece. Yes. I think board games are a great litmus test for any relationship. Have them explain it to you. If they can't do that, they'll never be able to tell you how they feel. You're so right. Wow. What if I just called my boyfriend in here and I was like, honey? <laughs> <laughs> explain some board games. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> He could. No, he's great. He gets it. That's why we're together. <laughs> great. So have there ever been any uh, any properties you like that don't have a board game that you're like, I really would love some sort of original Pokemon, Legend of Zelda. I've been playing my Nintendo Switch all day, so that's where I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there's always going to be, I think for me too, there's so many ones that have board games, but I don't like the board games, but I, I like the properties. Like Harry Potter is a good example. They, uh, I don't even know the scope of all the board games that fall under their domain, but they re- they recently released like, I think more kiddie versions. Mm. And I think when people don't know what their audience is, that's where they really falter. Like Pokemon, exactly. Could be for adults and kids. So it doesn't mean that it has to be for both. You can make one that's just for adults. Same with Harry Potter. You can make one that's just for adults, but all the ones are so kid-like that it makes it harder to uh, to like enjoy one of your favorite fandoms. Um, I think I don't love when people do a ton of crossover stuff. 
like a game of or settlers of Catan is really known for that. They'll do like a game of Thrones, settlers of Catan, Star Trek, settlers of Catan. And I feel like it makes people's brains explode because you have this game. They already know, then you're changing it. And it's like, I don't want to, I don't want this game to change because I'm already good at this. So now you're making me relearn a game. I already know. And now I'm just mad. <laughs> and yeah. And there's always some part of it where it almost feels like a cash grab. And I know there are, uh, the way we all collect nonsense things. There are people who are just like, I need every kind of monopoly. Uh, I've never fully grasped that. I guess I should because I will keep buying turtle figures as a 31-year-old man. Uh, so what do I know? But I'm like, but you have the game. And wouldn't yeah. you rather have, like, wouldn't you rather have an awesome Star Wars, like, dueling game than, like, I bought the Death Star for 400 and then I passed Jabba's Palace and collected 400 Star Wars currencies. Like, it yeah. doesn't sound good. I mean, to me, the beauty of board games is that it doesn't even matter what the property is. It matters how well the game is executed because you can make uh, an Animal Crossing board game. And Animal Crossing is seemingly the most boring game of all time. Is it my favorite thing on this planet? Absolutely. <laughs> but good God, you try to explain Animal Crossing to someone and they're like, you owe $2 million to Raccoon and you have to catch fish? Like, what is your life? It's amazing how since March... I've had to explain Animal Crossing yeah. to so many people. And I'm almost to the point where I'm like, I don't even want it. Just let me, just let me be on my island. I'm not doing this. <laughs> right. Because this, was, this was me at the beginning of Animal Crossing, like back in March or April. Like I, I knew Animal Crossing was a thing that existed, but I didn't know what the game really was. And I watched like some playthrough videos on YouTube and it was like, what is this? Like, it seems like nothing is happening. I don't understand what the appeal is. But then, like, I kept watching the videos and ended up getting hooks on watching people basically do nothing in a video <laughs> game. I loved it. Like, right? It, yeah. It, I think it's like that's the simplicity factor of like, if it makes you happy, it makes you happy. <laughs> don't, don't overthink it, just do it. But I think they can make a successful Animal Crossing board game. And it could be similar to Settlers where it's resource-based and collection-based. But it's not like involved in its strategy. But you're not killing anybody. You're not, you know, trying to be a, some type of tyrant. You're just trying to get the most of one thing. You know? I am amazed. And at this point, I'm sure we have fans who are like, here goes Blake talking about Nintendo again. But I'm amazed... <laughs> that Nintendo doesn't have more board games, mm -hmm. like just make Mario Party a board game, but start yeah. on easy mode. I think I, if I, if I know correctly, I think they have just like a really hard grasp on their, their, pro, their intellectual properties or at least yeah. companies that make them in Japan and stuff. I don't think that they give a lot of leeway. That's exactly it. It's, it's, and I think you can trace it back to like the super Mario brothers movie. And after that yeah. they were like, no one but us touches our properties. And they're like, yeah, but not everyone's going to do that to something. <laughs> well, well, I also would play a board game based off that movie. That would be great. Yeah, let's see. There you go. Ugh. And there's so many, like, there's a, there's different Firefly board games or there's Buffy the Vampire board games. And I mean, I do think there's an element of, like, cash grabbing like you talked about. But you won't know until you buy it in a weird way. <laughs> right. And I'm fine with that. It's an investment I am fine in making because I could find, I don't, I don't, there's so many board games I've never, I would never know what it is unless I bought it and played it. And then it becomes my favorite board game and it has nothing to do with anything I've ever liked. Yeah. It's become such a big kind of culture that even now, I remember in Chicago and I know there's one in Glendale, there was a just board game cafe and bar that uh -huh. I think was called the wormhole cafe in Chicago. It's been so long. Uh, but you would just sit there and they'd bring you coffee and there would just be like the Beauty and the Beast library of board games. Ugh. And it was like a great place. I would go there either like with new friends or if we were doing a film project or on a date and it became this great just like, because I when you're like 21, a date is either like a real activity or like let's go get fucked up. Yeah, and it was it was nice to be like, let's sit down and play this game, make it to know each other, and not just get fucked up. Yeah, yeah, options. Yeah, I, I 
I had a friend that wanted to like create a board game place. He wanted to create like a board game bar. And I was like, God, that would be so awesome. Like something that actually marries my two favorite things. Now I know with some of these games, uh, specifically uh, Settlers of Catan, like there's people that play these professionally for like money. I did. I have no, I don't know those people. Who are they? And how do I monetize my life? (laughs) (laughs) Look, if you're good at it, I think look into it. It it feels like a no brainer. Of course that would be a thing, right? I didn't even think of it. Oh yeah. I mean, everybody's figured out how to monetize their hobbies. At this point, people are like, you do something for just fun and leisure. Did you know that if you turned (laughs) it into a business? Do you want to hate it eventually? (laughs) Yeah. Right. We can do that. Would it change your mind if I told you that the winner in 2018 got $300,000? It would. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate myself for not investing in this sooner. I. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I mean, it's out there. It's happening. It makes sense. I went to WonderCon last year and they had this whole, you know, roped off section of board game playing. And in retrospect, like, I probably should have hopped fucking in. I should have gotten in. I should have jumped in. Well, guys, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Holly, thank you so much for coming. If you want to help us out, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us five stars. It's actually the only option that works. A lot of people don't know that. (laughs) Um, you can then of course find the show here google play spotify everywhere podcasts are available now that we're wrapping up the election we'll be back in a more weekly manner correct uh then you can of course find all the other stuff justin and i do justin hosts tournament of nerds on twitch with ucb the third uh, the third saturday of every month you think i'd be able to get that right after eight years uh (laughs) And I, of course, do some other podcasts. You can't do that anymore. The movie podcast where we talk about our perceptions changing. And One More Drink, a comedy podcast that right now is about our various first times, be it the first time you did something new or the first time, it, whatever it is. Everyone's first at something. Holly, where can the good people find you? Um, well, I am on Instagram primarily at Holly Brown Comedy. I post all my sand updates on there um, and links to my podcast and artwork, stuff like that. And probably on Twitter, I have a very soft presence on Twitter. I want to say it's on purpose. I just don't know how to work it. I'm not good at it. But it's Holly Brown on Twitter and Holly Brown Comedy on Instagram. Great. All right. We'll see everybody next week. (laughs) Thanks, guys.